there, banditos. Thank you for joining us this week for a brand new episode in this brand new week, uh, where, as always, we fling open the doors of your local comic book shop and talk to your favorite creators of yesteryear in the comic book world. I am Joe Marcello. I'm Orrin Phillips. I'm Mike Farah. And today's interview is with an artist whose career spans the last 20 years and has worked on current titles. We're talking about Green Lantern, Batman Beyond, and Teen Titans. He's one of our neighbors to the north. He's Bernard Chang. Now, uh, I'm a huge fan of Bernard's work. Uh, he, In my opinion, he's a pretty integral part of the New 52, in my opinion. Uh, his artwork really stands out. And look, I know the New 52 gets a lot of flack, but there's a fair amount of titles and artwork that really shined through. And his uh, was one of those. And for an old codger like me, I remember his work on uh, Dr. Mirage for Valiant. It was... Uh... Really, I think a book that was sort of ahead of its time and his artwork in it was fantastic. I thought it blended so well with the stories. And uh, it's great to hear how he's sort of evolved as an artist from then. We had a great conversation. Uh, I love Bernard's work since Dr. Mirage. It really kind of took off like a rocket ship with his, you know, one of his first assignments there at Valiant. And then um, has had a very unique career. I mean, he took a break from comics at some point to do um to join disney's imagineering crew where he was kind of like a concept designer uh for various attractions and projects that they were doing came back to comics has done a lot in dc some in marvel um and now is working on and is in fact completing uh his 12 issue series called the monkey prince which is Introducing a new character to the DC universe and uh, issue 12 comes out on March 7th. So pick it up. Uh, we talk about that first and then get into the rest of his career. So let's get to it. This is Bernard. Chang, And we are joined today by a special guest. It is Bernard Chang. Bernard, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. So we usually uh, start way back at the beginning in terms of discovering comics, but we'll get to that a little later because you were in the midst of what people who are watching this on YouTube can see is your latest project, which is The Monkey Prince, uh, which, from what I can gather, is a completely brand new character. Um, and I'd love to know, you know, how how it came about, how the character came about, how the book came about, and, um, you know, what's going on up until this point in the uh, story. Uh, well, The Monkey Prince is uh, the son of the Monkey King. Uh, Sun Wukong. Um, he's a, a Chinese mythological character, uh, probably one of the most popular um, uh, mythological uh, mythologies that come out that have come out of China or the Far East. Uh, it's very influential in terms of like Dragon Ball Z and a bunch of other um, pop culture or more modern stories that have been um, kind of springboarded off of that journey to the West. Uh, uh, chronolo uh, chronology and uh, so um, back in I think 2020 late 2020 uh, Jessica Chen who was an editor at DC reached out and she had said that she wanted me to uh, see if I was available to work on a project might have been 20 early 21 um, you know the whole pandemic fog is not so great um, and uh, she wanted to see if I was interested in working with the writer, Gene Luen Yang. And, uh, you know, from, you know, obviously his first book was American Born Chinese, 
but he's also written a lot of um, uh, superhero comics lately. Um, and uh, before she could finish Yang, I was like, oh, yes, I'll, you know, um, uh, sign me on board. Because uh, I'd always uh, held him to a very high regard um, and wanted to collaborate with him in some kind of way. Um, and then it became a double bonus where she was like, look, we want to try to bring Sun Wukong, the journey to the West, into the DC universe. And uh, for me personally, um, the Monkey King um, has a lot of roots in terms of uh, when I was a kid. Uh, you know, my family immigrated to the States uh, when I was six. And um, I would go with my mom to the drugstore or the supermarket every week. And I would just hang out by the comic book rack and, uh, you know, read all the new new comics. And, you know, I'd read one shelf one week. And then I, next week I'd come read all like, you know, five or six books along the next uh, aisle. And uh, so my father saw that I started taking a liking to American superhero comics, Batman, Spider-Man. Um, and I would go home and I would draw all of these characters. Uh, so he said, you know, let me introduce you to a Chinese superhero. Um, and he had his friends uh, back home in Taiwan send him the Journey to the West, which is like a thick book. There's no pictures in it. It was just words. And I couldn't read Chinese. So he would read to me bedtime stories, you know, a few pages every night um, from Journey to the West, which is a story about this uh, monkey king who uh, is kind of like a trickster or prankster. Um, he goes to the heavens. He creates a lot of havoc. Um, he kind of does things his way. Um, he gets ultimately caught and punished, uh, but then he gets sent on this journey to protect this monk who has to go west to get these uh, scriptures the, from the from the Buddha. And along the way, he has uh, a pig, a pig demon who becomes his uh, pigsy, his like cohorts. And uh, there's another uh, Sandy who's like this sea demon. And so the four of them kind of go from east to west to go and go on these different various adventures. Um, what happened, too, is that uh, my father never finished Journey to the West. Uh, you know, my parents got divorced. Um, and so there was always this open loophole, uh, you know, uh, in my life that uh, although while Monkey King was um, such a... Uh, a huge favorite of mine. Um, I wasn't able to finish the story because I, I couldn't read the book. Um, and back then there was, I don't want to date myself, but you know, there's no internet. Um, there wasn't a lot of translated stuff here in the States. Um, and uh, so when she came up and said, you know, we want to do a new uh, story, a new character based off of Monkey King, and we're going to make him the son monkey prince i was like wow this is uh, you know all these memories and emotions came rushing back and as uh, as an artist as a creative you know you, even as a fan you know you want the the creators to have a lot of passion um for whatever project they're working on and um so i can guarantee that you know gene also had a very similar story when he was young his mother would read to him bedtime stories of the Monkey King. And uh, in fact, in the uh, American Born Chinese series, the graphic novel that he drew, uh, the Monkey King makes an appearance uh, in his uh, format, in his way. Um, so 
it really became kind of a um, a great opportunity that you know when we were kind of flushing out different ideas. Um, I had the opportunity now to go back and reread the entire series and complete the circle. Um, uh, you know that that uh, was left open all those years ago. Yeah, it sounds like a really um, fulfilling uh, closing of the loop, so to speak, that it, was open earlier in your life. Yeah, it's it. You know, a lot of times you get uh, like people ask me who's my favorite character to draw, what's my favorite book that I've worked on, and uh, you know there are a lot of like favorites uh, characters growing up reading certain books. Um, uh, you know, I gravitate towards certain artists or writers or characters or, or story arcs. You know, I remember Secret Wars uh, had kind of just come out when I first started seriously collecting comics, you know, going to, um, I mean, it started out as a kid going to uh, drugstores when they had or newspaper stands when they would have them more readily available. Uh, but then I started discovering comic book stores as a result of that. Uh, and later on in my teenage years, I started really getting into like, you know, collecting, going every month, getting a pull list, uh, you know, putting the bags, uh, I mean, putting the comics and in, into the bags and boards and, you know, reading them on the table, like just one page at a time. Whereas when I'm young, I mean, you know, the books are all like, you know, messed up. Um, and around that time, you know, like certain things came out, like Secret Wars came out uh, and, you know, was also a very pivotal time i think in the comic book industry um how you know they had these uh whole uh company-wide crossover um so it really uh, going back to that so yeah sorry i get off on these tangents um but but yeah you know you get like opportunities to draw certain characters but this was really from my past you know when i was a little kid and uh, going to sleep every night, dreaming about these stories because there are no images. Uh, so I had to formulate all of these adventures in my head. Um, really was had a very, very personal uh, stroke. So I'm very grateful, uh, you know, uh, to have had the opportunity um, and the career to or just to have lasted long enough to do something like this in the industry. Were you surprised that this opportunity came up from, uh, of all places, DC? I think a lot of it, it was the right place at the right time. Uh, I think Marvel tried a Monkey King, a Storm Cone character a few years ago. Um, and uh, you know, quite honestly, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that DC hasn't tried it earlier um, because Monkey King is so popular. Uh, you know, if you're in Asia, there's like uh, every year, every other year, there's like a new movie about the Monkey King or, you know, with uh, different uh, variations, uh, uh, takes from the original story. Um, there are, of course, a lot of other um, Asian, Chinese, Japanese, Korean um, uh, stories, uh, uh, myths uh, that that also it provides a, a um, you know, a, a bountiful field uh, for stories to explore. Uh, I mean, I think in comics, we've really explored a lot of like Western, Greek, uh, Roman mythology, uh, mythological characters. Uh, but there's also this other bevy of stories of characters and adventures um, that are uh, wild and crazy. And uh, 
um, you know, another resource to kind of tap into. And this is set up at least thus far as a limited series of 12 issues, I believe, right? Yeah, we're coming towards the end. Um, it's right now a 12 issue uh, mini series. Uh, the character Monkey Prince also is making a major appearance in um, the current DC uh, event called Lazarus Planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, some of the villains and characters from the Monkey Prince is kind of affecting the DC universe. And um, uh, so hopefully, the, you know, the, with uh, continued fan support, um, there'll be uh, more Monkey Prince stories. Um, you know, Gene and I, we actually just met uh, met up the other last week and a half ago for dinner. And, uh, you know, we're like spearing out a, a lot of ideas or what could be the next adventures of Monkey Prince. I mean, this project in itself, too, has been so collaborative. Um, and I'm so appreciative of, uh, you know, working with Gene and Jessica on this because um, before every, it was a 12 issues, but before... Uh, you know, every few issues, we'll, we'll actually have like a Zoom call and we'll throw out ideas. And, uh, and you know, it's been extremely collaborative and, and very warm in terms of, um, you know, we'll bounce ideas off of each other. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? Um, so it's not just like uh, uh, me in a dark room working and then, you know, they're in a, it, it, it's uh it's very much similar to like when I first started back at Valiant, um, it was a very collaborative effort because at Valiant back then there was a bullpen and, um, you know, you would go into the office and I would sit down with Bob Layton and he would read to me, you know, we'd read the script, uh, the plot uh, over uh, and we would discuss, you know, he would ask me questions like, what's, what am I thinking when I'm reading this? Uh, maybe emphasize this aspect of the story or scenes um, and so it's really great to, uh, be able to work in that kind of, uh, fashion. Um, you know, now that we're on the internet or we have the internet, um, and everybody is kind of all spread apart, uh, there are projects where sometimes the writer and the artist rarely ever talk, mm-hmm. um, except for maybe some, I mean, emails, but you know, like physically converse with each other. Um, and so this is a very special project. And I really do hope that the fans that are reading the book, uh, the books that they really get that energy um, uh, from uh, from the work. In my experience, that, that kind of energy, the collaborative spirit really does come through on the page. And you can tell when um, a team is kind of focused on telling a great story um, as opposed to maybe those folks that are phoning it in or, <laughs> you know, um, um, just kind of doing a quick paycheck deal. Um, and it seems like obviously monkey Prince is, is really of the former variety. And, uh, and so I, I'm hopeful um, as other fans are that uh, this is only the beginning of more and more for that character and, and those stories. Um, yeah, fingers crossed. Yes, exactly. You know, one more question that that came out of your last answer was um, because you brought up how some of the characters from Monkey Prince are being drawn into the greater DC universe. Was that a uh, part of the appeal for doing um, this kind of 
you know, classic traditional um, story that has been told in different forms before uh, to bring it into the DC universe and have it kind of bump up against some of those other characters and archetypes that have been around for maybe not as long, but uh, certainly decades. Right. I think uh, the Lazarus, Lazarus planet type level, ultimately, yes, you know, you want to create a character or storylines um, that have lasting and meaningful impact. Um, but at the same time, you know, we really just started out wanting to explore the character of Marcus or the Monkey Prince. Um, and then our intent initially was really just to play off of a, a, a small handful of um, noticeable DC characters um, in the Festival of Heroes, which is the first appearance. Um, actually, it kind of takes place not in the beginning, but towards the middle of the uh, storyline. And, uh, you know, he kind of uh, uh, plays off as Shazam. Um, and so, uh, and then in, in this arc now, in this 12 issues, the first four issues is Batman Robin, where he's in Gotham. Uh, then the family moves to uh, Amnesty Bay, and uh, Monkey Prince actually faces off against Aquaman, uh, Black Manta, and the Trench. And then in this third arc, uh, you know, the family moves to Metropolis. So um, it, it, the reason being that his parents are henchmen. Uh, they work for like the various DC villains. Uh, the first arc, the parents are working for Penguin designing and creating, building these uh, machines and weaponry for him. Um, the second uh, arc, uh, after Penguin gets you know captured, I don't want to give away this ending, but uh, they have to find a, you know, a job and they, so they move to Am Amnesty Bay because Black Manta's hired them to initially work on this uh, ship, uh, you know, underwater vessel. So um, I think it's great that uh he's given uh, monkey prince is getting the, given the opportunity to kind of play in a bigger field um uh and at the same time uh as we continue to develop his character uh you know basically it's a kid teenage kid just finding out that um his father was the legendary monkey king and that you know he's kind of been bullied around he's kind of moving from city to city um really having a difficult time fitting in everywhere he goes um uh, but then now discovering that he has these powers um a does he what does he do with them is he able to control them um those are somewhat similar types of uh story points found in a lot of superhero teenage superhero stories um but along with this comes the history of the monkey king um and uh, you know he also has his uh teacher uh pigsy who was the original pigsy from journey to the west so Tsubajian, who was like if you know anything about journey to the west um Tsubajian is always or pigsy is always uh kind of like monkey princess comic relief but pigsy is also kind of comic relief because he's always super lazy and just wants to eat or you know be a womanizer and and now he's like years you know hundreds of years later thrust it into the role of being the mentor. Um, so I think there's very interesting dynamics going on uh, in that relationship. So, Yeah. There seems like endless potential for these characters and 
their their place in the DC and even beyond the DC universe. Um, but uh, at this point, I want to kind of rewind to uh, sort of the beginning. I mean, you did tell us a bit about how you first discovered comics, um, you know, sort of with your mom, uh, these, these racks. But um, fast forwarding to your, you know, breaking in professionally, which you've already also somewhat touched on. Um, and, and Bob Layton had a similar story about, you know, sort of the collaborative nature uh, of you two, particularly um, at, at Valiant. But um, what, what did it feel like to sort of break in at, um, at Valiant? Because it was, you know, a very interesting moment in time in the industry. And, you know, this was not one of the big two that everybody sort of knew about at the time. Um, mm-hmm. And yet you really kind of immediately made, made your mark. What was, what was that um, environment like? Uh, at Valiant. Um, well, uh, okay. So I was about uh, I was twenty years old. I was going to uh, college at Pratt Institute in New York City. Uh, I was majoring in architecture, so I had um, had a scholarship in architecture. And uh, my first year in school, I was really hating it. I just I went to an art high school in Miami called New World School of the Arts. Um, my best friend in high school, John Paul Leon, um, was also, you know, eventually became a comic book artist. Uh, he had gone to school at SVA college at SVA. So we were both in New York together. Um, I remember really disliking architecture. It was so regimented. Uh, everything was measured, had to be so precise and coming from three years of art high school where you're painting, drawing, and, you know, being explorative and loose and um it was just very confining and um i was thinking about like transferring out um but then one day i went down to the uh local corner bodega and in the bodega they had newsstands and in the newsstands they had comics and uh this was uh 90 fall 99 or spring 91 and uh, one of the comics I picked out was an X-Men uh, double-sized, uh, I forgot the number, 352? I don't know if that's right. Where the X-Men go into the Savage Lands with Rogue and Magneto. And Jim Lee drew it. And uh, I'm flipping through this book. I'm like, wow, holy cow. Because in high school, at hard high school, they forbid us from drawing comic books. JP and I still, we still drew comics on the side, but we also kind of shifted and like, I I, kind of stopped collecting as heavily as I used to. And so I wasn't really going to the comic book store as much anymore. And uh, by the time I got to college, you know, I was like, man, I really don't like architecture. I found this comic book and I'm like, holy cow. I remember this guy, Jim Lee, because I remember picking up that Alpha Flight book or getting the Alpha Flight you know, Marvel used to do mail shipments. So I would get like comic books in the mail and I would go to the comic book store once a month to pick up my other special books. And I remember his Alpha Flight book uh, being like, wow, this is like amazing. And then I'm like, oh, this is the same guy that drew the Alpha Flight book. And this stuff is, you know, uh, like just, I was uh, 
just thrilled reading this book. Um, I will say also at the same time, you know, like uh, you never really saw what the comic book artist looked like. Uh, you know, very rare. I, you know, down in Miami, uh, every now and then the, there was a comic book store I went to that they, that had a signing. I got to meet like uh, Jim Beatty and Mike Zek. Um, you know, they came down to promote the Secret Wars, and uh, but a lot, some of the artists, you know, they weren't like they were older. Um, and uh, around that time in New York, I think the Rob Liefeld commercial came out where he was like selling Levi's. And I'm like, holy cow, this is like a young, you know, hip guy drawing comics, right? I always thought it was like this, you know, old scruffy, which is kind of what I am now, right? Like, a, you know, with the beard and big belly and sitting there in the room um, drawing. And uh, I was like, oh, you know, I'm in New York City. Marvel Comics and DC Comics are both in New York City. Why not try to get a side job you know, drawing an issue here or there. And maybe that'll like fulfill like my urge to be, you know, drawing or creatively drawing um, and make this kind of New York experience work out. You know, part of me wanted to transfer, but part of me also didn't want to transfer because I made the basketball team at Pratt. And that was like also one of my goals is like to play college basketball. So I just started asking around campus um, friends. Hey, do you know anybody that's interning at Marvel? Do you know anybody that's interning at DC or working at Marvel or DC? You know, how do I break in? Meanwhile, John's at SVA. He at SVA, you know, there's a whole group of kids over there that are already in tapped into the, the comics scene. Um, so at Pratt, I met some, uh, this kid named Mike Thomas. And Mike, uh, he was at the time, I think, interning, but he was also doing some colors uh, for Marvel. So I knocked on his dorm room door and I'm like, hey, Mike, uh, can you get me like a plot or a you know, script to, to work from? And he's like, oh, okay, all right, all right. And I come back a, a week or two later and Mike hands me like this uh, Captain America script, a plot. Back then, I say script now, back then it was all plots. Um, and uh, he's like, here you go. So I went and I started doing some, um, you know, some pages from that. John Paul, at the same time, I, we would hang out. I'd be like, hey, John, I got this Captain America plot, you know. So we were like going back and forth. Um, and eventually John's group at SVA, uh, they had uh, a group called the Bad Boy Studio that was run by Michael Davis. Uh, Michael Davis uh, was a comic book artist. Uh, he's also one of the original founders of Milestone Media. And so Ma Ma Michael Davis would have a, a class at his home once a week where he would like just talk about stories of comics, um, you know, comic book stories, like uh, not like superhero stories, but like personal <laughs> personality stories or Industry. business of stories. Yeah. yeah. And what Mike really taught was the business of comics. Right. So Mike was like, look, uh, you got to have uh, six to eight pages of storytelling, you know, get rid of this uh, 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 full page splash stuff or just splash page, you know, just uh, get rid of this non storytelling material, put it together, portfolio, be presentable, have uh, copies of everything with your name, uh, address and phone number on every page, 
you know, um, really began to shift uh, in my head um, this notion of, you know, this can actually be a real thing. Um, he's like, you know, all these kids that go into Marvel DC looking for work, they're in a t-shirt, sneakers, and jeans, right? They're not respecting the craft. Um, and uh, so a lot of those things, you know, ring true, right? Look, when you're applying as a kid, especially if you're 19, 20, I was 20 at the time, 21, um, this is a job. This is a career. You have to address it and treat it as such, you know, with respect. Um, so Michael uh, said to John and I, come out to San Diego Comic-Con 1992. Uh, he'll take this around to all of his contacts um, and have your portfolio ready. So John Paul and I, you know, we saved up our money. We flew out uh, that summer. Comic-Con's in August. Back then it was in August. And Michael took us to all of his contacts. On the very last day, um, it was Sunday. And back then it was only two or three days. Uh, on Sunday, right before we we're going to head out to the airport, there's a booth right by the last doorway. It's all A. Um, if you hear the squeaks in the back, it's my birds. Um, I'm like, John, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's show our portfolio to these guys. It was Valiant Comics. And at that San Diego Comic-Con 1992, Unity had just come out that summer. There was a big buzz in the entire convention center. Um, I didn't know what Valiant was at the time. Uh, I was just starting to get him back into comics. I mean, I knew Marvel DC, um, and that's what we were shooting for. And uh, we had actually been offered, Michael was going to start Milestone. They were going to launch later in the fall. Uh, they had four books, one of the books being Static. So Michael had said, look, it's either going to be me or John Paul. I was going to be the, the two guys that are considering drawing Static. So one of us was going to have work coming out of the show. Uh, but we didn't know. And uh, so we still wanted to try to get as much um, out of this opportunity as possible. So we just waited in line. And uh, Bob, you know, Bob and Barry went to Smith where they were looking at portfolios. And so Bob, I was waiting in line and I happened to go in front of Bob. He flipped through my work and he's like, oh, this is pretty good. Um, okay, when do you get back? I said, yeah, I'm going back to, I go to school in New York, so I'll be back in September. Um, he's like, yo, when you get back, uh, come to the office, and I got some work for you. And uh, I remember I had, you know, stapled the uh, photocopies um, of my samples. I said, Bob, would you like a, would you like to keep a, a sample? And he was like, no, I don't, I don't need it. And I was like, oh, everybody else took samples. Uh, I said, ah, well, okay. Anyways, we go back home. Uh, a few weeks later, I'm in New York, back in New York for school. Uh, I go to Milestone first. Well, actually, before I go back to school, uh, Mike called me and said they, they're going with John. Uh, JP was going to draw static. So uh, it's crushing. You know, my best friend, both of, I, both of us are, are going for the same work. John had already started... Uh, working earlier that year 
he had uh, started on a Robocop one shot and Robocop miniseries for Dark Horse. Um, so he has a lot of experience under his belt already. Um, but uh, Dwayne McDuffie at Milestone had said, you know, just come in the office. We'll have maybe a backup story for you to work on. I mean, I was 20. I want, I could do it. If you told me I could sweep up the floors, I would have done that, you know, just to be in the industry. Um, but when I went into the office, they're like, look, we, we don't have any work right now. We're still trying to get all the books uh, off of the ground. Uh, we haven't really, they haven't pushed too far ahead to have inventory stories yet. Um, an inventory story really is like a fill-in issue uh, where, you know, have regular artists will, will draw like four or five, six issues. Then you have probably a fill-in issue and give them a month breather to jump ahead. Um, and I was, again, disappointed. Um, so I remember leaving that meeting with Dwayne McDuffie, going down to the street. Uh, and then there's a payphone. And I had Bob's number written on uh, my little Rolodex thing. So I you know, put a quarter in. I called Valiant. I'm like, can I speak with Bob Layden? You know, this Bernard Chang. And he's like, yeah, when can you come in? I'm like, uh, well, it's Monday now. Got basketball practice. Come in Wednesday. Um, he's like, oh, come on Wednesday. So uh, I showed up Wednesday with my portfolio i had redone a bunch of the pages between the convention and then based off of the feedback i was getting um and he was like okay great he was flipping through the portfolio okay i remember this stuff and then uh he says okay here you go here's your here's your first story and i was like wow this guy means you know everybody else is just blowing smoke up uh, my butt uh, Bob really, you know, when he said something, he meant it. He's like, I got the perfect book for you. You're going to be uh, the first artist outside of Barry Windsor Smith to draw Archer and Armstrong. You're going to do a fill-in issue, uh, number nine. Um, I think they were on like five or six at the time. I don't remember. And uh, he's like, you know, give this a read when you get home. Uh, but while you're here, uh, Barry's office is over there. Uh, go into his office. Barry, this is Bernard. Uh, Barry, teach Bernard how to draw Archer and Armstrong. So I was like, wow, holy shit. I'm, you know, meeting Bob. Bob's giving me work, right? Bob's this legendary uh, comic book uh, writer, artist. And now I'm also going to sit in the same office with Barry Windsor Smith. So Barry brings me in. Barry used to draw uh, tracing paper a lot. So he'd take out his roll of tracing paper and blue pencil. And he's like, okay, well, this is Archer. This is Armstrong. Archer's kind of frail and skinny. He's a kid. Armstrong's this big, burly kind of guy. Not necessarily fat, but just, you know, big, like a refrigerator, boxy. You want to make sure the different silhouettes. Um, and he's doing all these kind of blue line sketches. And then it rips it out. It's okay, here you go. Uh, go practice. So I'm holding this original uh, Barry Windsor Smith page, and I'm like, uh, I hand it back to him. Like, uh, could you sign this, please? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he kind of took a moment. He's like, okay, but you're a pro now, so this is the last time. So he signs BWS, 
hands it back. And then I leave the office. They hand me like a stack of like Valiant comics uh, all the way. All You know, later I'd find like all these books are like a hundred bucks each or something. I'm just going home with like a stack of comics. And uh, I'm walking out of there like I'm floating on cloud nine uh, in New York City. Um, and there's all this, you know, police sirens or cars, uh, sounds going by, but I'm like, it's all numb because I'm taking a next step in life. Um, and so like that moment, even now, when I, whenever I bring it, when I think about it, uh, it brings chills, um, to have realized, uh, a dream. Um, you know, childhood dream, uh, and uh, basically to be, you know, for the last year and a half, you know, JP and I uh, have been trying to do sample pages and showing our work around, um, and you know, now I also get to join John and like be a professional comic book artist. Um, and the first, you know, like. Uh, working on the Archer and Armstrong, I would, uh, that first issue, I would go to my dorm room back at Pratt in Brooklyn. And I would read the plot. I would do a couple pages. I would do all these different layouts. I would sh do drawings of the scenes. And then I'd come back a week or two later and I'd show Bob and we'd sit down and talk about why I chose this angle, why, you know, and he would make suggestions. Why, why don't you do it? This way, look at it over here, watch your pacing, make sure you have enough uh, space or moments passing between one image to the other to be a little bit more consistent in your storytelling. Um, but also working in that bullpen, you know, the other, everybody else, you have all the other artists, the colorists, the letterers are all there, the production people. Um, some of the other editors and writers are there, you know, Mark Moretti, uh, who's another editor at the time but he was also he also wrote and drew eternal warrior um he was a huge uh influence too and we kind of bonded because mark was um before joining valley he was a assistant basketball coach at the university of virginia for the women's team so um so we would bond over basketball and strategy and then you know he really brought a lot of storytelling sensibility also um so it was just like, I was just trying to soak up as much as I could um, as a 20 year old kid starting out. Um, you know, whoever had any kind of like uh, a minute of their time, you know, Don Perlin would sit in his own kind of corner and go over there and like watch Don draw. And then I go into the uh, marketing department. John Hartz would be there with Fred Pierce. Um, Steve Mazarski was the publisher and I go and I'd sit and I'd listen to like John and Fred talk about, uh, all right, the numbers are coming in. This is what we need to do this. We need to have this kind of promotion coming up. You know, Paul Fairchild was also another, uh, marketing guy, Paul and, uh, Marty Stevers. So, you know, I like chat with them about what they were doing. I was just trying to soak up as much as I could, uh, in terms of, um, just being in the moment. And trying to understand um, as much as I could about this industry. Um, and Valley at that time, too, was just uh, uh, right place at the right time. 
you know, that summer, uh, Jim Shooter had just left. They had a huge kind of thing. So I missed the Jim Shooter era. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an exodus of some of the creative talent. Um, but then Valley was really beginning to uh, take off. And uh, I remember that fall, um, Steve brought everybody in, all the young artists and writers and, and uh, colorists and letterers. Because uh, everybody's royalty checks were, you'd get a huge fat royalty check on every book, on a single monthly book. And, uh, you know, Steve would say, look, he had a big meeting with everybody and he said, um, we're in an extraordinary time right now, but this is not going to last forever. So don't go <laughs> buying cars uh, and throwing this money away. Save it. And, uh, you know, I kind of took that to heart. I mean, there were some guys that went out and bought cars. Um, I did. I did buy a house. But, you know, I saved up my money for the first year and I bought my mom a house um, down in Miami because we had been, you know, living in apartments and uh, moving around. Um, But, you know, Steve was like, had the foresight to say, hey, look, this this boom right now that we're experiencing is not going to be forever. So be be careful and wise with your money. Um, Sean Chen, who also started at Valley at the same time that summer, uh, although he got kind of like a month and a half head start on me in the office. Um, Cause right after San Diego, he went to New York and he started um, studying under Barry. Um, so Sean got off the launch first uh, with ride number nine, which is, I think the categorically speaking, the highest selling number nine issue of any series ever i think um because they had rye one through eight and then number nine was rebranded rye in the future force but it was number nine yeah so i made i don't know if i can say i said it on my twitch stream um the number keeps going up every time i repeat it but it was close to a hundred thousand dollars on one royalty check on one issue number nine not a number one number nine Amazing. Anyways, uh, sorry about going off on tangents. Um, no, that's that's okay. Uh, I I, I want to go back and ask you um, from from the middle of the story whether you still have the sketch from Barry Windsor Smith. I still have it. It's rolled up. Uh, it's in like storage. Uh, I have like a section of. Uh, I've been meaning to like. It's it's up. I live in a loft, so it's like stored up in a yeah. upper part area. I've been meaning to like dig it out but i still have and uh you know at that time too it was a special time because i don't think it's ever been repeated uh in this industry it's something that uh uh just a magical moment magical few years yeah uh and it was a wild ride um going from a company at that time valiant was almost gonna close i think uh you know, they started out doing like Super Mario, WWF yeah. comics. Right. Um, and Joe Quesada was there before, you know, during that era. Uh, so there are a lot of people that passed through Valiant that are extremely influential. Um, 
in this industry today, still. And uh, they had moved a couple of different offices. Um, I missed the first office. The previous office was smaller, but it was next to a modeling agency, which, you know, if you're a young guy, it would have been great. But, uh, um, you know, a lot of the artists, the writers, you know, especially during the summer, I mean, between the fall and the spring, because I was still going to school, uh, I wouldn't, I would only go into the office to drop off work and to meet with Bob to talk about the scripts, uh, plots. Um, but then during the summer, I would stay in New York City uh, during the summer and go in and work uh, in the office. Um, and, uh, you know, it was just a really fun experience because uh, there was a really, uh, I guess, the camaraderie that you develop, right, with this group of misfits, these, these guys from all over the place. And they're all kind of like, I mean, I was the youngest guy. I was like the same age as the interns. Um, but uh, they were all kind of like similar age and um, we'd pull pranks on each other, you know, things like that. I don't think we're ever going to get back to a stage where there's going to be a bullpen for a comic book company. Um, it's just that I don't know if it's uh, um, it, probably too costly to have that kind of overhead. Um, but uh, so, you know, Marvel used to have a bullpen um, and the, it was great because you can see uh, day by day, week by week, an actual book being gotcha. made. Yeah. Right. I'd, I'd see, I'd watch over there, uh, Tony Bedard's writing the plot. And then I'd see over here, uh, Paris Collins is drawing it. And then, uh, you know, uh, I'd say uh, Andrew Wendell's inking it. And then Jade is lettering it. And then it's being prepped in the production over there with Darren Sanchez. And, uh, you know, so, and then it's, couple of weeks later it's in the stores yeah so um you're not going to get that today and i think you know a lot of comic book artists uh, or writers probably will not experience that if they're getting into the industry now seeing all the little things step by step but also you know some of the because of the bullpen you know last minute hey we need to redraw this scene because oh we're changing this continuity, so we have to redraw this or recolor this, and so somebody will jump on it. Okay, I got it. You know, I'll pencil it in. Somebody will ink it. You know, Maurice will come in and finish the colors, and then they'll cut it out and then put it on the um, make ready and then ship it off to the printer. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's that sort of atmosphere is unfortunately probably gone <laughs> as of now. I mean, we hear the stories of, this is the first time I'm hearing about Valiant's bullpen, but uh, definitely the Marvel bullpen. And uh, and you know what? We hear a lot of stories about cross-gen um, and sort of that studio atmosphere and having kind of the collaborative shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder writers, artists, um, you know, colors, every, everybody kind of under the same roof and uh, it seems like, unfortunately, a bygone era, but it produced such great comics. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, was a, there was a period of time that um, uh, Steve 
gave me the keys to the office um, because I would uh, go to class during the day. Um, I was like, Steve, can I come into the office at night and work overnight? And then, um, you know, then I go home and sleep in the morning and go to my class. So he was like, okay. So I would go into the, I would go into the Valiant offices at night uh, and there's nobody there um, and it's pitch black and I'm just sitting there working. And then in the morning, um, Scott from production would come in and he would turn on Howard Stern and that would be like my signal to uh, go home and, and sleep. Um, and that was like, uh, yeah. So there's a lot of like, you know, moments and memory. Um, you know, CrossGen had its own kind of bullpen, but it was also in Florida mm -hmm. where the weather was much nicer. You know, mm -hmm. New York is like, it's like brutal, uh, in the, especially in the wintertime. Um, in the summer, it's hot as, um, you know, it's pretty hot in the summer. It's yeah. pretty cold in the winter. Uh, but it's also dynamic. You know, in Valley, we were up at like 13th, 14th floor. So you can see a lot of the city. Yep. You can hear a lot of stuff going on. And as you're drawing, you can almost imagine seeing the heroes jumping from rooftop or flying across the skyline. Um, so, yeah, it was fun. It's, it's, it sounds like that. And, you know, uh, you know, one title I think that you were very well known for, and you got to launch a book there, right? Um, which is an opportunity that a young artist doesn't, doesn't always get, which was Dr. Mirage. And you got such great uh, feedback from that. And, I, you know, I'll just pile on to that as well to, to say that really stood out in terms of its, um, well, in terms of its story, but the, the art was seemed in keeping with Valiant, but also kind of a leveled up, uh, version. And I think uh, I and uh, other fans sort of recognize that this was kind of sort of peak valiant when, when you were on that book. And, you know, what did you think when you were pitched that and, and really doing those, those stories, which were very unique, I, I'd say, among, um, you know, a lot of the superhero fare that was coming out at the time? Yeah, I think, I mean... I just can't, again, express to you how fortunate and lucky I've been. Um, so as I'm working on the Archer and Armstrong uh, fill-in issue, uh, halfway through, I'm about like 10 pages in, uh, I go in one day to drop off some pencils. Um, Bob pulls me on the side, and he has a big grin on his face, and he's like, I got some good news for you. Um, and... Uh, we're going to launch, uh, we're, we're planning on launching a new book. Uh, back then, I think Valiant had six, six or eight titles, or maybe six books only. Solar, Magnus, right. Exo, Harbinger, Hardcore had just come out. Um, yeah. And uh, so he's like, we're going to launch a new book. We don't know really what it is right now. We're still working it out. Um, uh, how would you like to be the regular artist? So I was like, wow, 
okay, that's, I mean, a monthly book, that's kind of what I'm doing now, you know, 30 years later, a mm-hmm. monthly book, a book a month. Um, yeah, I'm thinking like, okay, I still got uh, two and a half years of school left. Uh, I don't want to drop out, you know, because I'm on a full ride. If I leave, I don't think I'm going to go back. I like playing basketball every day. Um, I don't know if I'm going to go draw for anyone else, right? Um, so I said to Bob, you know, Bob, I'll draw this book on one contingency. Um, he's like, what is that? He's like, if you make the lead an Asian American male, an Asian American male who's not a fighter, a lover, not a fighter. I mean, growing up in the U.S., there's not a lot of Asian representation, especially at that time. Um, everything that I would see, if I would see a face that looked like me on TV, it would be Sunday afternoon Kung Fu theater, mm. uh, which they would, you know, redub old Kung Fu movies right. uh, from from uh, from Asia. So. Um, I was like, I see if there's an Asian guy, mostly he's like Kung Fu fighting. Can we do something that's a little bit more authentic? Um, And, you know, and we can also set it in Miami. I'm from Miami. Most heroes are in New York. Um, I can bring a little bit more authenticity to this character, uh, provide a a background. Um, And uh, so, yeah, that was it. Uh, So I go home. Back to my dorm, you know, I think I had basketball practice that night. Um, I'm thinking, wow, did I just blow up my career at making demands? You know, I'm 20 years old. I'm making demands already. I haven't even finished the first, uh, my first book. Um, so I go back a week later to drop off more pages. Bob pulls me into his office and he's like, all right, you got your book. We'll figure it out, but uh, you got your book. So I was like, wow, this is amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, the story itself, I think it really is uh, way before its time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that if the book came out today, I think it would be extremely popular, yeah. especially from Bob's point of view, uh, where it's a superhero couple. Uh, but, you know, really talks a lot about marriage and mm-hmm. love and relationships um and uh how they kind of battle that along with bad guys and uh some of the stuff when i was younger i really didn't some of the stuff i really wasn't as well keen on but now as i am older you know thinking back on a lot of those stories like wow those are pretty impactful um and uh so and, and you know again working with bob you know he would uh, I'd go in, he'd write the, have a plot for me, we'd sit down, uh, we'd go over the story, we'd go over different things, he'll come back, you know, okay, this last issue, you know, maybe draw this character a little bit, it's a little, you know, looking this way, you know, you're looking, you know, so he really guided me along, and um, I don't even know if that opportunity, too, is really available these days. Um, the industry at such, uh, they're really trying to get guys that kind of plug plug and play and there's not a lot of mentorships happening or guiding and you mentioned that you know there's this valiant uh, style um and uh, you know for me as an artist i never really emulated a single artist 
uh, going up and growing up in terms of my drawing style. I liked a lot of different guys, but I kind of just drew how I saw things. Uh, there are guys that kind of get into the industry being, um, well, let's say clones, but like uh, mimicking a particular popular style. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I just kind of drew how I drew based off of my, you know, uh, 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 studying, you know, through high school and college. Um, but Bob really helped guide me along that challenged me to think about story over just drawing fancy poses um because ultimately you know comics the craft of comic books or comic book artist is storytelling and you want to be able to evoke emotion um you want to be able to get the reader invested um it's not just about drawing something that looks pretty um you have to tell a story. And so I think that's probably what um, a lot of the, sometimes you have to sacrifice like a, a really nice big pose uh, for something a little bit more subtle because that's, the mo that's what the moment calls for. Um, and I actually really find some of my favorite pages or sequences that I've done throughout my career are some of the more quiet ones where there's a lot more acting, there's a lot more story, there's a lot more movement um, going on in the pages, as opposed to big splash pages of people fighting and punching and kicking. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I would imagine those are can be sometimes more fulfilling, especially, you know, when your sort of action dominates. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's good to have a, a break from that and actually you know show you can get probably more emotion across um in those sort of s smaller if you will scenes I, I do think also like because uh a lot of the inkers are trained by bob too at valiant so there's a lot of brush uh work um and a lot of the colorists are all very similar they swap between books um that might add to the kind of a, a cohesive style overall cohesive style um, of the line um but yeah if you looked at the pencils i mean they're they're very different a lot of the artists are very different uh, back then uh, at valley yeah um well i'd love to you know we, we've been going for a while and i'd love to get to more comics questions but i have to ask you about a piece of your uh, biography or resume that just jumps out, which is your time at uh, Disney Imagineering. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd love to know what a blue sky concept designer does. And then, you know, how, what your experience was like there, as opposed to maybe your, your, your comic experience. It was to totally different or were there little things that kind of, overlapped or were similar um the one overlapping uh similarity in both uh <clears throat> both careers were uh the overall attention and focus on story um when you go to disney when you go to a disney ride 
Um, it's not just you get on a ride and, oh, wow, so you're thrilled and then you get off of the ride. Um, there's story involved. Um, so let's say, for example, I, when was the last time you were at Disneyland or Disney World? A few years ago, probably about Do you have a favorite ride? Uh, you know, I always liked as a kid, Peter Pan. Okay. Um, so Peter Pan, oh, you kind of know what Peter Pan is before you get on it maybe a little yeah. bit yeah. um but uh there's things about the queue space where you're waiting in line mm-hmm. um and then the ride itself also tells a story i think the peter pan you're kind of moving through i don't remember that much you're almost like floating in the city right at one point yeah i think you're you're flying with peter pan and wendy right. and over yeah. to neverland yeah um, I, I, I like to use the analogy or the example of the um, Indiana Jones uh, ride. Have you been on that one? Um, I'm not sure if I've been on the ride. I remember seeing the stunt spectacular at some point. Oh, Is there's a the stunt spectacular. Thing? Yeah, there's yeah. a stunt spectacular, but there's also a ride itself. Um, and or, or even Space Mountain. You've been on Space Mountain. Yes. Right? Yep. Okay. So Space Mountain, um, it's a roller coaster. Um, it's an indoor roller coaster and it's kind of a ride through space. Um, but there is kind of like a, a very small story along that with that. And as you're waiting in the queue space, you're entering a space station already. So you're surrounded by like, you know, you're in this high tech tunnel. You can hear like launch time, T minus two minutes and counting. And so once you enter that space, you're already we're trying to um, bring the guest into an experience and into a a particular story narrative um, to take them outside from their whatever stress or problems that they have outside or in the real world and bring them into this imaginary space. Um, So everything you see, everything you hear, everything you smell, everything you feel uh, reinforces that story. And so by the time you get on the ride, you believe you're on a space station um, and uh, you're zipping off into space, flying all around. You see the other spaceships or shooting stars, and then you land back on the um, separate space station uh, to complete the ride. And all of that is to facilitate at times mostly your relationship with who you're at the park with. Um, because at the end of the day, you're probably going to remember more who you went to the park with, right? You And it's about um, enjoying experiences with other people. Um, and then the ride itself just becomes kind of the vehicle for that. Uh, Imagineering, I was at, uh, I just finished my four-year contract at Valiant. Um, I was kind of shopping around. I was doing some stuff for Marvel. I was doing some stuff uh, for Image. Um, and I had just been hired as the head basketball coach at Pratt. So I was going to be a college basketball head coach, college basketball head coach, which I had been working um, diligently on too as well. And uh, a friend of mine who is still going to Pratt said, hey, there's this Disney executive. Um, he gave a lecture and uh they're looking for a comic book artist to hire at Disney. 
Um, okay, well, I just wanted to see, I was thinking like, maybe I can submit a resume, see if they'll hire me, see if I'm a Disney level artist. And um, uh, so I sent in a resume, a few weeks later they said, can you send in a portfolio? So I sent, I put together a portfolio and I sent that in. I mailed it in to uh, LA, I was in New York. And then a couple of weeks later, they're like, hey, we want to fly you out for an interview. And I was like, oh, this is getting pretty serious. I just wanted to see if they would make an offer. Um, so I flew out for the interview, uh, uh, mainly to uh, get a, to bum a free airplane ticket to go out to the West Coast. Right. You know, the interview goes well. I ended up um, taking the job offer. It was initially at Disney Interactive, um, designing video games. Yeah. Uh, but eight months after moving out, they laid me off. So uh, stuck out on the West Coast. Like I'd given up the coaching job. Um, I kind of put comics a little bit on the side. Um, what do I do? And. Uh, I had coworkers back at Interactive that were also working in Imagineering. And so this one guy, uh, this one producer, he brought me over and I got to meet um, with some people at Imagineering and started interviewing there. And uh, they didn't have a job opening at the time. Um, so they're kind of like, well, um, it's not like they hire, they have a you know, listing for a concept designer. Um, it was just, uh, well, we like your stuff, but, you know, what can we do with you? Um, when I started working there, you know, I'd go into these meetings, basically as a blue sky concept designer, all you're doing is coming up with ideas, right? You just sit there and you come up with ideas. Um, and then those ideas, you have to present them in a format, like whether, whether it's a drawing whether it's building a physical model or uh, doing like a 3D, 3D you know, computer render. And uh, um, so I'd go into meetings, you'd have like creative charrettes, brainstorm meetings. Um, and uh, it was very, very like uh, skunk works, kind of like secret ops type. Um, uh, because you would get on these projects and they would be top secret, right? So I worked on like a project for uh, almost a year and I couldn't talk to anybody else uh, in the company on what I was doing. And these rides and theme parks, they take years to develop. Yeah. Uh, Disney develops all the tech, most of the technology for the rides themselves. And they develop all the rides from ground up. So uh, the difference between like Disney and Six Flags or something is that, you know, there are companies that build roller coasters, right? So Six Flags would go to like a company that builds roller coasters and, you know, the order off of the shelf, you know, this super roller coaster that they super fast one and will paint it green and then call it the Hulk. Yeah, this really simplifying it, but mm -hmm. uh, whereas Disney would be, you know, they spend years and years. So Disney would develop everything from the ground up. And so as a concept designer, you're starting with a blank piece of paper, what they call blue sky 
is that there's no ceiling. So whatever you come up with, don't be afraid to come up with the wrong thing because there is no kind of wrong thing because even if it's not what they want, you begin to build the outside of what the inside could be or the idea, right? Because a lot of these meetings, they don't know. They're just like, well, we want to maybe work with this company and we maybe want to do this kind of a ride or experience. What is it? And I'd go and I'd have a couple of days to think about something, do some research, um, and then come back with some kind of drawing or uh, presentation and then pitch. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, uh, but it was also a different kind of uh, work because it was very isolated. You know, these top secret projects, like I'd go to lunch and I go to lunch with like other coworkers and it's only natural you'd ask, hey, what are you working on? What's going on these days? And I'd be like, well, I, I can't really talk about what I'm doing. Because even though they might be a Disney employee, they might be another Imagineer. Um, you, you're not supposed to talk to them about um, the high-level concept work because you know they could hear the idea. Uh, a week later, they get a job offer to go to Universal. They go to Universal, and then they say, "Hey, we have this. I have this idea for this," and then Universal builds it first. Um, whereas Disney has invested all this money in me or in this project. Um, so it becomes very competitive. Um, but as far as jobs, it was like, I go into these meetings and it'd be these boardrooms um, and everybody would be introducing themselves. And these all people that work, that design rides that I went on as a kid. So it would be like going into a room where, you know, Bob would be there. Uh, Barry would be there, but then also like Bailey, Jack Kirby, Jim Lee, all these guys would be in the same room as a whole. Um, and then being able to walk inside Imagineering uh, in the uh, offices, they have like other warehouse offices in the back where they have some, sometimes they have old rides, like old ride, they have this big Dumbo vehicle that's empty. Um, and then also just new tech and you can walk into the other offices and look at like kind of what the other, at that time, Disney California Adventure was about to open uh, a year or two from opening. And so you can really begin to see like all the different stages of how a ride or a park itself gets developed. Um, all the different variations um, from initial very early concept to finished build. Sounds absolutely fascinating and something that I, I would imagine not a lot of others, if if any, have um, any other comic artists have sort of experience. But um, yeah, I mean, it was also an office, you know, so I, I had my own office uh, with a door. It was like right down the hall uh, from Marty Scalar, who was like, you know, like a legend. Oh, not Marty Scalar. Um, his was downstairs. Uh, but so it was also kind of different from like Valiant. Valiant was like bullpen, right? Right. 
at Disney, you know, I had my own office. Um, and uh, it was much more like a nine to five, right? Um, whereas uh, as a comic book artist, you kind of set your own hours. Um, so a lot of times I'd like to work overnight. Um, but there at Disney, they want you there during the day. So, um, and it's a corporation. So really, you know, you get to experience corporate life. Um, at Disney, I mean, I, I had a great time there. You know, the, the company is so big. Uh, they have their own bank for employees. They have their own sports league for employees. Oh, there was like an internal Disney uh, basketball league and there was an internal Disney softball league. Um, so it was a lot of fun. Amazing. Uh, well, Bernard, um, we, we've gone through a lot and I still have a bunch of questions and I, I hope you'll uh, come back sometime. But uh, in the meantime, I, I'd love to know if there's any, um, we, we know you're doing, you know, monkey prints. You have a, a couple more issues to go on that. Um, anything else fans could look forward to or are things kind of under wraps for now? I know sometimes you can't talk about upcoming yeah. projects. Uh, there's, uh, there's some stuff I can't talk about. I mean, I have a, a Twitch stream with uh, Sean Chen and um, Jerry Ma, uh, who's also a comic book artist. Um, and we do that every Tuesday. Uh, it's on Twitch and YouTube. Uh, you can watch it for free. Where we, I do a drawing, and then we talk about, you know, some of these old stories or uh, topics that are happening in comic books um, every week. And uh, so that's going on right now. But uh, you know, I think this is a, a very kind of a pivotal moment in, or pivotal time in comics, at least in terms of American superhero comics. Um, there's so much uh, great stuff that's out there um, and, uh, you know, beautiful work that's being created. Um, I wish sometimes I could be like a kid again, um, you know, because there's so many things, you know, the superhero comics, there's different variations of those traditional characters. Um, and there's also a lot of independent comics out there. Um, and now you have access to foreign comics. Um, so I think, uh, when I go to these comic book conventions, uh, around the world now, um, it's, it's truly, uh, uh, heartwarming to meet a lot of these fans. Um, we might not speak the same language but we all share the same love and passion for these characters and stories. Um, so uh, it's great. I mean, comic books, uh, comics, you know, we grew up reading them and loving them. And uh, now I get to continue, you know, being that as my career. Um, I think it's, uh, um, I've been very fortunate. I guess the only other thing I could ask for is a little bit more hype. Uh, but I think my my basketball play days are, are much or, or very far behind. So, um, but thank you for your time. I mean, Michael, where where are you based? Uh, I am personally in Boston. The other two members okay. of the team are in uh, 
New York. I don't want to call it upstate New York uh, because they're just outside of the city in Westchester County. Okay. Yeah. And where, where can uh, fans find you other than this? You know, we'll definitely put links to the uh, Twitch slash YouTube uh, Tuesday events, but um, where else can fans uh, follow what you're doing? Uh, Instagram, uh, the Bernard Chang. So all the social media is the same handle, the Bernard the Chang. Bernard Chang. Um, yeah, maybe see me on a basketball court somewhere. I'm actually going to go play ball right now uh, once I leave. Once we get off the, you know, the podcast, yeah, but, sure. um, uh, we'll fight traffic first and then uh, go play basketball um, and then come back and work. Um, there's still a lot of drawing and, uh, you know, but hey, I mean, I don't have any complaints, right? I get to draw uh, superheroes and spandex uh, for a living. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's it's a pretty amazing career and one that uh, a lot of people, including myself, are pretty jealous of. Hey, welcome back. And I think we need to address the fact that this was a mostly or mainly Mike episode. Um, Mike was, on the mic? Mike on the mic. I'm sorry. Where we that, decided to go with that. I think yeah. that's what we're going for. Mike on the mic. The branding's the still a little yep. fuzzy. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're working through it. We'll get there. Uh Either way, it was a great episode. Uh, I loved hearing about Bernard's work. Um, look, anyone that can go from comics to Disney and and uh, back again, I guess, is just pretty damn cool. So, Mike, as always, great job. Yeah, I agree. Mike did a, a bang up job, and it's so cool to have Bernard on. And I mean, he's uh, genuinely in every aspect of the word an artist, whether it's comics or you know, you said the engineering and other projects he's worked on. Um, his work and his creativity has really made so many wonderful things happen. I was very impressed by all of the stories that Bernard uh, brought to the table, including those early valiant years, how he broke into the business. And then he also, one thing we didn't touch on in these uh, intros and outros is his work on uh, book design and album design as well. So he's got that in his back pocket. So kind of a uh, multi-talented individual. Would love to have him back, hear more about uh, what he's working on. But again, um, pick up that uh, 12th issue of The Monkey Prince when it comes out. And um, we appreciate your listening. We appreciate your views. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe, and we will see you next time. The Dollar Bin Bandits are Oren Phillips, Joe Marcello, and Mike Farah. New episodes release every Wednesday and Friday. You can find us on all the socials, at Dollar Bin Bandits on Facebook and Instagram, at DB Bandits on X. For more super nerdy discourse, join the Dollarbin Banter Group on Facebook. You can email us at dollarbinbandits at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you found this episode. It's the easiest and most helpful way to grow the show. Looking for merch? Search us up on TeePublic. And if you want to support what we do, smash that support button on our website, dollarbinbandits.buzzsprout.com. Thank you to Sean McMillan for our graphics and Pat McGrath for our logo. Thank you to our friends at Tomorrow's Publishing, T-W-O-M-O-R-R-O-W-S dot com. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, banditos.